Hey everyone, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I hope that you have some community around you to talk through these truths and concepts with. If you don't have community like that, we would love to invite you to be a part of Restore. You can get all the information about our church at restoreaustin.org. We would love to see you soon at one of our Sunday gatherings. And we hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. I am here with Mike Goldsworthy, um, who's become a, a good friend over the last year. Hey, Mike, so glad you're on, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Zach. Seriously, um, such an honor to be with you. Oh, man, I'm, it's an honor is on uh, our side, man. Well, I'm excited to hear from you and excited for our people to hear from you. Um, so if you don't know Mike, I want to just give you a quick bio. So for 19 years, Mike Goldsworthy served on staff with Park Crest Christian Church in Long Beach, California. For the last 11 of those years, he was the lead pastor, transitioning the church toward multiplication models of church planting and discipleship communities, while also shifting a largely homogenous church towards more diversity, helping create experiences for the church to live in the biblical tension of unity in the midst of diversity. And I love that, Mike. That's something we talk about a lot. Unity, not uniformity, and unity in the midst of of diversity. Um, so I, I love that you led an entire huge church through that process. It's a really beautiful thing. Um, currently, in addition to teaching as an adjunct professor of ministry and Bible at Hope International University, he teaches homiletics and ministry classes. He helps churches and church leaders engage with nuance and thoughtfulness and difficult conversations that they're not often having. He guides and mentors individuals as they walk through the transitions of deconstruction and reconstruction of their faith. Again, those are going to be terms that our people are really familiar with. We talk a lot about deconstruction and reconstruction. Um, and I also want to say this is how Mike and I uh, first connected. The next part is that he works with church churches and leaders who are finding new ways for the church to move forward in post-evangelical realities. And then a little bit about his family. He and his wife, Allison, have been married for 20 years with two teenage children. In the summers, you'll all, often find them hiking, biking, and camping together, which is actually where he's coming from today. Uh, they're hanging out. Uh, doing some of that stuff right now. So, man, thanks for taking a break and coming on with us. Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, gosh, that bio sounds so much longer <laughs> when when you're reading it than, or when you're uh, saying it out loud than when you're reading it. Oh, man, it's. Uh, I think it really does a good job of encapsulating what you're doing. I think, you know, there are different kinds of bios, right? Some people are very packed with um, you know, accolades and where they're published and what, you know, all that stuff, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. It's really good. Yours is one of the ones that I think describes like what you actually do. One of the best ways that I've ever seen. So I, I love it. And like I said, Mike and I connected because of the work he does with churches and pastors, um, in this kind of post evangelical space and, um, have done a, a couple of different things together, um, over the last year and got a couple of more things coming up. Um, and so, when we decided to add this bonus mixtape onto the end um, during our kind of big reopening sequence as we get back to meeting in person, um, you just were the, the perfect person, I thought, to talk to about pastoring, what it means to be a pastor. You've obviously been a lead pastor in a large church. You have now are now serving pastors all over the place in churches of various sizes and denominational affiliations and structures and leadership and all of that. And so I really wanted to, one of the most common questions I get all the time is, you know, what's it like to be a pastor? Um, and I get a lot of questions around what should pastors be like, right? What's it like to be a pastor, but what should pastors be like? Because for so many of our people, I know this is true of just people all over America, 
we've got very disparate um, interactions with pastors. You have what's portrayed in media, maybe what you've experienced as a kid or as an adult, maybe the pastor at your church or the pastor at your parents' church, different things like that. And it seems like it's a very, uh, it's a diverse crew sometimes, <laughs> what pastors yeah. end up looking like. Um, so before we get into all of that, though, would you tell us a little bit more about kind of your story and how you got into pastoring and how you got out of pastoring and all of that stuff? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad to. Um, can I also say like, gosh, I just feel such a resonance with you. The first time that we connected, uh, some of the th work that you're doing, some of the stuff that's happening at Restore, that I just think it's so beautiful and are so many of the things that I care about and just have loved watching from afar the work that you all are doing. Like it's really significant, it's really important. It's really, even in some ways, I think um, the bleeding edge of where the church is headed. And so I love communities like yours and the work that you're doing. I think it's just, it's, it's risky and it's courageous and it's so important and needed right now. So yeah, really, really grateful for you. That means church. I really appreciate that. Um, so for me, I, I did not want to be a pastor. Like I grew up in the church, but I never really wanted to be a pastor. I was going to be an architect. I was going to college to be an architect. And it was in the midst of that, that I, I felt a sort of calling into ministry. And I actually just kind of like shifted everything. I left, I left what I was pursuing there. I changed schools so I could go get a degree in ministry and kind of went down that path. And I was going to be a youth pastor. I thought I was going to be a youth pastor forever that, you know, I thought I would be this like 80 year old still hanging out with high school kids. Yeah. And, um, and that kind of changed along the way. But anyways, I got, I got hired at this church, this church called Park Crest. It's in Long Beach, California. And I came to be their high school pastor. A couple of years into it, they asked me to change roles. I kind of changed roles along the way. And what happened was uh, at 29 years old, I ended up taking over the church as the lead pastor. And uh, at that point, I was one of the youngest mega church pastors in the United States. So a few thousand people going to the church, multiple campuses, you know, a couple million dollar budget and uh, a bunch of staff, all, all the whole deal. Yeah. Um, but I had no idea like what I was doing. And at 29, like I thought I knew what I was doing mm -hmm. that I, uh, at 29, like I was dangerous enough. Like I had enough self-confidence and I'm a three on mm -hmm. the Enneagram, if that means anything to your folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which is like, really wonderful for leadership roles and really dangerous for leadership roles. And so I was a really immature three at 29 and didn't, didn't understand that. And um, I didn't know what I didn't know, all of that sort of stuff. And really I was the, the picture that I've used to describe what happened for me there is that I was thrown into the deep end of a pool, not knowing how to swim, thinking I knew how to swim. Oh, wow. I didn't know how to swim though. And there's a lot of people that were at the edge of the pool who are cheering me on, but nobody was jumping in to help me figure out how to swim. They're just like, yeah, you can do it. It's great. And, uh, and leading in that space took its toll on me. Okay. Uh, there are things like uh, I was about a year into it as the lead pastor. And I was told by uh, uh, our leadership, like, hey, we don't want you to worry about our finances and details. Like, we know that's not your thing. Just lead, give us vision, teach, like do that. And about a year into it, uh, our finance team came to me and 
and essentially was like, all that stuff that they said about not caring about finances, like you need to care about it. <laughs> We're pretty deep in the hole. This has been building for years before you took over and you got to do something quick. Wow. And um, I had to lay off 10 people in a day. Wow. Uh, it's just like a horrific, horrific experience. Yeah. So I had experiences like that of, of that and feeling like I was going through that alone. Um, we, we caught, actually I caught our operations manager had been embezzling for like seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just went crazy. Mm -hmm. Like I, I started before I confronted her on it. I started like tailing her. Like she mm -hmm. lived two miles from me and I would drive down her street. And if she was leaving, like I'd follow her. Cause I was like, she's spending the church's money at target right. or whatever. And I was like, I'm going to catch her in the act. And, and I had this moment where I was like, what is happening to me? It was, um, so I, I ended up in some like pretty like um, soul crushing places. Mm. I was in an unhealthy place and, um, and the church was really gracious and gave me a sabbatical in the midst of that. Wow. And, uh, and I came back from that sabbatical. So I took four months to just kind of rest and restore. And it, there was no production expectations. There was no like, because a pastoral sabbatical is different than an academic sabbatical right. and they get confused sometimes. And an academic sabbatical is to produce something. Right. It's like, you're going to do research on this. You're going to write this paper. You're going to teach these other kinds of courses. Yeah. Um, but a pastoral sabbatical is about rest. It's yeah. about restoration and renewal. And so I did that and I came back and I told our elder board, I said, I think I have five years or less left in this role. I didn't have any clear, like, here's why. Yeah. But just kind of intuitively, I had this sense of like, I don't think I can keep leading this kind of church in this kind of way. And I don't know, like, I don't know how to sustain this. Yeah. And it was, a, it was about three years into that, um, that I was actually in the midst of a review with my elder board, with the chair and vice chair. And, and it was fine. But the, the vice chair asked some question towards the end of it. And I like had this breakdown that was totally unexpected. And I just said to them, I think I need to be done sooner rather than later, mm. um, which began moving me to this place of moving out of the church. And, and the way that I described it at the time, because I didn't, I didn't fully understand what was going on, but I just, I said, I, I don't think that I can continue to be lead pastor of this church and maintain a healthy soul. Yeah. Um, so it was the, that was the best language I had for it. And it, I, I just read this, this this morning, this quote um, that uh, it was in reference to Simone Biles yeah. and stepping out of her role um, in, the, in the team competition in the Olympics. And it said, you're not required to set yourself on fire in order to keep other people warm. Wow. And um, like, I just think that it was such a significant, like, that's what I was going through. And I think a lot of pastors experienced something like that, where I felt like I was setting myself on fire to try and keep other people warm. Yeah. Um, in hindsight, what my experience was, like, what, what I've been able to sort of, like, having a bit of distance from it to understand what's happening was that when I became lead pastor of the church, uh, the church and I had some overlap in who we were, but we were definitely different. Yeah. And I had thought what will happen over time is that the, the church and I, like, uh, I'll be able to bring the church closer and closer to kind of where I am. Yeah. And what happened instead was over time, the church moved a little bit, but it's incredibly hard to change a culture yeah. and without killing a culture. Yeah. And I thought I could transition a culture instead yeah. of killing it and birthing something new. And I realized in hindsight, like, you just can't do that. Yeah. 
Um, so instead what happened is the church kind of changed a little bit and I just kept growing further and further from it. Mm. And the church's sort of like collective consciousness, I think was frustrated with me because I wasn't the kind of pastor they wanted me to be. Mm. And I was growing increasingly anxious because I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could show up as my full true self. And so we, we had this consultant come in at one point and she says to me at one point, she goes, I would imagine that you are incredibly anxious. Wow. And I was like, I am like, I have just so much anxiety inside of me. Like, why, why would you say that? And she said, because as I'm doing these, like she was doing these focus groups in our church, she goes, as I'm doing these focus groups in the church, and as I'm talking with you, it feels like in order for you to have led this church for as long as you have, you've had to tamper down and quiet a lot of who you are. Otherwise you wouldn't have lasted this long. Mm-hmm. And if you're tampering down and quieting that much of who you are, like you're just going to have this increasing anxiety. Wow. Oh, yeah, so that that kind of led um, to me going through a process of of leaving the church and we left really well and the elders and leadership of the church like was real uh, like I just think we both honored each other really well and that leaving probably as best as we could. Man, I really appreciate you sharing that story and not just the the kind of high points, but the um, the low points and also the the real stuff about how you were feeling. Um you know, I know there are there are three other people, right, who were really deeply affected this entire time, but Allison and your two kids, right? And so you have, um, I, I'm, you know, doing the math, right? So y'all been married for 20 years, and you did this for 19 years. So did you guys get married right before you came on staff? We did. We went on our honeymoon, and two weeks later, came on staff at this church. So we literally, like, grew up at this church, so you, your entire marriage essentially is at this church. You you give birth to and raise both kids at this church, all in the midst of what you're talking about. And and so very similar to to, to us in, in some ways, right? So now we planted, so it's a little bit different. We didn't have some of the, the cultural issues. We were setting culture from day one, um, but we moved, you know, I was 26 um, when we moved here to, to start Restore. Um, and my wife and I had been married for a little while. Um, five years at the time, but we just had our first child. Um, and, and in the last six years, we've had another child. We fostered three children. Um, and, and it seems like we've grown up here too. Going from 26 to 32 is significant, um, as you talked about, right? You're, you're kind of late 20s and moving away from that. So my question for you is for, for Allison and the kids, as they are experiencing all of this, I think one of the most one of the questions that probably needs to be asked more, but isn't, is uh, not just how's your heart, but but how is your family as they're walking through this? So what was that like for them? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And um, it's one of the things that I think, like, if you're not in ministry, you don't get how integrated your whole life is in this thing. Because in most other jobs, like, you, you and your spouse, you go off to your job and you come home and you debrief each other and you talk about it, but you're not in your spouse's business. Like it's, it's this thing that like um, you can talk about, but you have some separation from yeah. and your whole family is sort of in it. Yeah. And in some ways, like, I think we were probably about as healthy as we could have been in the way that we had created some boundaries. Hmm. My um, most of the church and a part of it was because of the size of our church. Most of the church didn't know who my kids were. Hmm. Um, 
Allison was not somebody who, she's not kind of the pastor's wife that wanted to be on stage, leading women's ministry things, things like that. And so uh, she, she was as involved as she wanted to be. So she came to one worship service and, um, and would interact with her crew and would kind of leave that. But um, so a couple of things that kind of came out of it is that uh, for, for both myself and for Allison, I felt like in the roles that we were in, there were all these, always these guardrails up of like what you could think about, what you could process, the way you could understand even your faith. And um, because you felt like we can ask these things as long as we stay within these boundaries. And as soon as I wasn't in that role, it felt like those boundaries came down and we could begin a bit more of our own process in that. Yeah. And, um, and so within that, that there are, um, we're not currently like thrown in with any local church that we're engaging with as a couple, the two of us. And for some people, um, they've had a hard time with trying to make sense of that. Yeah. But they're like, you always advocated for the significance of being involved in a local church. And I was like, what? I don't think that that was untrue in the way I was advocating for that. And I'd still advocate for that. But you also don't understand the the way that that's been integrated in our life in a way that like to step out of it it's like there's ptsd for both of us in some ways sure that makes sense uh, I think yeah things for us to navigate um and uh, and i talk to this a lot with i mean i talk about this a lot with other pastors so i want to hear your opinion on it you talked about the integration of your life right like with you and allison and, and it centers around your job in the church another piece of that though right is that your whole most of your whole social circle centers around the church too so all of your friendships and all of that stuff um, are deeply ingrained into this church community whether that's you know a small group that you're a part of or staff members that you're close with or something like that how did you guys navigate not just your entire professional life but your entire social life being all connected in one place that you end up leaving yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it's really been more difficult than we expected in some ways. We would say that like we're in the process of rebuilding a bunch of friendships, um, making new friendships. And it, um, we had to go through this process of realizing a, a few things. One was that for some people, um, I was a purveyor of religious goods and services for them. Mm -hmm. And we had we had relationship um, but the relationship was based off of me providing these religious goods and services for them. And when that was gone, somebody else was providing those religious goods and services and the relational thing right. moved over there. And I was able to realize like, that's not bad. That's just the reality of what is. And I can accept that. The thing that was maybe a little bit more difficult was people that we had like good, genuine friendships with. But in the midst of those, it was always, there was always this dynamic of relationship that we didn't realize existed, but that I was still their pastor. Um, and not only that, that this particular church like was the center point of what connected us. Right. So we changed the dynamic of our relationship by, I was not no longer their pastor and we changed what the center point of what we related around. And all of a sudden these friendships that were really good and significant, meaningful friendships became a lot more difficult. Some of them that it was just like, the, they're really hard to maintain. Um, and then some of them that we feel like we really have to fight to maintain. Um, yeah. And then some of it in the process of all of this, I think one of the things that was um, really difficult for me to realize, like I was going into ministry, like 
naive in some ways of like, we're all going to do life together. Yeah. And we're going to be like, this is going to be so meaningful. And then what would happen is like, gosh, there's this couple that we would go on vacations with. And they were really upset about some things I was doing in the church. And I remember the husband, um, like, uh, coming and telling me that I was being used as a tool of Satan to sow seeds of confusion in the church. Ooh. And like, gosh, is that something that you say to your friends? <laughs> no, right? that realize, right? Like with the, I think the religious goods and services is a great analogy. And um, it, 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 sometimes I think I've had trouble with, um, misassigning a relationship uh, as far as the category that it's in, right? And and I thought it was a deep, healthy relationship, even though the center point is the church and even though there is a dynamic where I'm in a pastoral relationship or a, a boss relationship or whatever. Um, but I still, you know, I had it in kind of this deep relational category, but it really for them was um, that I was a, a purveyor, provider of religious goods and services. And when the religious good or service that I provided was something that they deemed inappropriate or, or inconsequential or just even unhelpful, the, the immediacy of the pushback um, and the breaking of relationship, I'd never experienced anything like that in my, in my entire life, including you know, growing up and going to school and, you know, being, a, I'm thinking about like being a middle schooler and how volatile relationships are as a middle schooler. And they're still not as volatile as somebody you've walked with for years coming and saying, Hey, you said this one thing on Sunday, a couple of weeks ago. And like, I know that, you know, you've walked me through deep counseling sessions and you have, um, you know, helped my family and blah, blah, blah. But like, we're done because you said that and I, I can't get past it. Yes. And it's so like to be a pastor is to um, be vulnerable in so many ways. And not only are people being vulnerable with you in the things like counseling, but like every time you put yourself on stage, you are vulnerably opening yourself up to a, a group of people that how many other places are people getting up on stage and saying like, here are some things that I believe about some of the deepest ways that we exist wow. and what it means for us to... And so it's an incredibly vulnerable thing to do that. And then when somebody's like, you said it, you said this thing and it pushed me off that it's like, um, it's this piece of you that you have exposed that now feels like it's being trampled all over and it's being trampled all over in a way that like, it feels to the other person. Like, it's like, well, you just said this thing. And all I'm doing is we're having this conversation about this, this, um, idea that was put out there. Yeah. But this idea that was put out there was by you just like opening yourself up. Um, oh man, that's a, gosh, that's a really good way to think about it. I don't know if I've ever really categorized it that way, but that is super helpful, even just for me listening to the way that you're describing that, because it does feel like that. I think every, every Sunday um, that I teach getting up and, and, and now, especially with over the last, you know, year and a half of the pandemic, um, you know, we've, we've grown significantly online. Um, with people that are are connected, you know, deeply and marginally, but from all over the place, um, even you know, outside of the United States, and so then uh, it, it's it's even a, a more open to I think like random critique where then there's no relational component. Yeah, and, yeah, it's just a a content like you said, it's kind of content on their side, but but for me it does feel like I'm I'm kind of letting you in on a, a counseling session I've had with God this week you know, and, and writing all this stuff and preparing it and opening it up. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think um, one of the phrases that I felt like described my experience really well is, have you, have you used or heard the phrase death by a thousand paper cuts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it's like, it's all these little things that like no one of them is kind of getting you, but over time it's just kind of cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting. Mm-hmm. And it's all these like little things. And, but they just are, are hitting you in a way that it's like, um, yeah, it's like doing this damage on your soul that the other person doesn't intend. Sure. Um, but it, but because they don't understand necessarily, or they haven't experienced what it is to stand up and to bear your soul in that sort of a way. Um, yeah, it's doing this thing to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. Okay, so you now work with pastors, and you, you do a lot of things, but uh, one of the things that you do and the way that we're connected is that you work with kind of mentor, shepherd, pastors all over um, all over the country, and uh, I, I, this is a, a hilarious thing that happened to us last time we were together, but we, you took a group of pastors, and we hung out with um, Stanley Hauerwas, who's a, a theologian, amazing professor at Duke Divinity, and just kind of sat and learned from him, and um, he was kind of asking you, right, like, what's your real role here, Goldsworthy? Like, what exactly are you doing? And you kind of described kind of this, you know, I'm just trying to help connect people and, you know, talk about what it looks like to be a pastor and how we step into this supposed evangelical space. And he said, oh, so you're the bishop. And uh, so now we, yes, I lovingly call you Bishop Mike. Um, So in this kind of bishop role now that you have with pastors all over the country, uh, what are the things that along these same lines you're hearing from them, the things that are really challenging in this specific season of being a pastor? Yeah, gosh, Um, this, I think, um, seems like it has been the hardest season for pastors. And I said, somebody who stepped out, I stepped out in the August before the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I had this, like, for me, a kind of unique experience of, I was close enough to pastoring that I was watching people go through it, but I was able to stand outside of it. And I was watching, I was watching folks who were just trying to like care for their people and figure out what do our people need in the midst of this, who are trying to navigate, how do we lead our church through the pandemic? Um, And what began to happen really quickly in that, like right, right at the beginning for the first like six weeks, eight weeks, people had a ton of like, but we're going to do whatever we need to do. And then there became this shift that happened and it happened pretty quick and it happened pretty hard where you had people that were like, if you're not opening up, you're letting the government dictate what, um, what the church gets to do. You don't believe in religious freedom. You don't trust the spirit, like things like that. And then you had the other side that if you're not being super restrictive, you're not loving your neighbor well. And it felt like pastors couldn't do anything right. And they were constantly receiving those critiques and then in the midst of that, you obviously had the significant racial tensions that um, that a lot of pastors, like you were engaging in, but how hard is that to engage in from a distance over a screen with conversations that require nuance and being in person and the kind of incarnational bodily experience of being with other people around a table, having difficult conversations, and that couldn't happen. And so we quickly devolved into echo chambers around that. We quickly you weren't saying something right. You didn't have the right people on stage saying these things. You didn't, whatever. And it very quickly allowed us to create a, um, uh, uh, just sort of like a, a distance from the actual personal engagement of it. Uh, and so like the, like I am experiencing right now, pastors incredibly weary. Yeah. 
And I think that's bearing itself out, not only in my personal experience with folks, but in the studies we're seeing. Uh, I think it was Barna that put out a study maybe about a month ago that said that 29% of pastors right now are giving serious consideration to leaving ministry. Just worn out, just tired, just feeling like they can't do anything right. This wasn't what they went into ministry for, to be a talking head on a screen, to figure out how to handle the... the, uh, like technology in this sort of way, and also to like have to navigate difficult conversations in ways where you couldn't actually be with people navigating them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think uh, I've been walking with uh, in this in the last year and a half. I think four pastors that I'm walking with that are stepping out of ministry entirely, not that are changing churches, but that have stepped out or are step in the midst of stepping out entirely. And I think we're going to see um, a tidal wave of that over the next year or two of, of just pastors being like, I'm, I'm done. They're just tired. Yeah. I, it does seem like that. I'm, I'm having anecdotal conversations like that with pastor friends a lot who are just really attempting, I think, to get their churches back meeting in person somewhat consistently and then are planning to step out. Um, even if they haven't really told anyone else that that's kind of the, they feel a, a burden to get kind of everybody back together in, in person and then step away. Um, and just for the restore folks listening, I'm not one of those I'm <laughs> good about where we are currently. Um, but it, it is a, it is a reality for a lot of folks um, that are walking in the space. Yeah, it's kind of like you were running a marathon with this heavy weight on your shoulder and you saw this finish line and you're like, I just got to get to the finish line. I just got to get to the finish line. And the finish line is reopening the church with regular gatherings and you got across the finish line and then you collapse because the goal was to get to that to that line. Yeah, that's a perfect analogy. Um, okay, so you're also working with pastors all over the country who are um, you know, staying in ministry and, and continuing to even step deeper into pastoral roles or or more expansive pastoral roles. And so, um, the you know, Jen Hatmaker on her podcast, right, all the time asks the uh, what what's saving your life right now question. And so, a version of that question for the pastors that you're working with: What currently is keeping pastors not just engaged with ministry, but excited about being a pastor and kind of the the direction that they're leading in? Yeah, I think um, there's a few things. I think, well, for several of the pastors I'm connecting with who have thought about stepping out and have a renewed sort of refreshed vision, there's almost this like, you're probably familiar with the story in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 19, where Jeremiah is just sort of like the prophet. He's just like done. He's like, I'm out of it. And he says to God, like the Hebrew is essentially like, you seduced me into this. I didn't want to, I don't want to do this work, but you like conned me into it. You seduced me into it. And he says, every time I try to stop, it's like a fire that shut up in my bones and I just can't. And I hear some sort of version of that at at the sort of like practical level. What I'm seeing folks doing is there is a rise in the care about a pastor's emotional health and pastors taking that seriously. And I think that's been really significant and really helpful. And so whether that's through counseling, whether that's through spiritual direction, whether that's through like different sorts of um, different sorts of engagements of programs like um, on-site intensives, things like that, where pastors are saying like, I've got to care about um, being secure in who I am, understanding who I am, being able to not be codependent with my church, being able to have non-judgmental observation, all all those sorts of stuff that comes with emotional health. Um, I see pastors that are doing well in ministry right now, leaning into that really well. Um, 
And I think along with that comes a sort of like relational health of like pastors who are developing good, deep, significant friendships that don't exist within their church that are figuring out how to do that in your church. Like, I don't think you can pastor a church well if you're not developing those friendships where you're going to get hurt at some point by them. Uh, but they're finding really meaningful friendships outside of their church. And even like the norm, the normalization of Zoom and things like that have opened up the ability for those friendships to be all over the place. Yeah. Uh, so we're seeing that. I think we're also seeing um, pastors that are going like deeper in theology and wider in theology and finding like real joy in that. And what I mean by that is um, we had a season where it became really normal in the church to go kind of really thin theologically and then, but to also go really myopic theologically Mm -hmm. to be raised in a tradition and to learn from that tradition and to not see out of it. And this engagement with like the depth and breadth of the historical church, the global church worldwide. And so we're seeing, pastors even giving themselves space and churches giving them space to like change their minds about things to as you talked about like deconstruction and reconstruction like a lot of what I'm experiencing folks calling deconstruction is just simply people who've been raised with a myopic view of theology in the church and they're just starting to read other folks and realizing like oh the church is bigger and wider and um and so I'm experiencing pastors like really finding some um some life in that yeah. in those sorts of experiences. Man, that's awesome. I resonate with so much of that. I think, so similar to you, um, you know, we, we've got a, a leadership team that is um, half staff and half non-staff here at Restore, and then we have a, a board that are, um, it's me and then all non-staff members, and, and they're also part of that leadership team, and that board does a review, like you had talked about doing at Park Press um, with me every year, and in at the end of year review in 2019, um, one of the kind of encouragements that they had for me was to, to really give counseling slash therapy a, a, a good shot. I'd given it a couple of early shots when we first moved here. It hadn't gone well. Um, they'd been connected to churches that like I was friends with the pastors and it quickly became like a peer relationship instead of like a counseling relationship. And so I'd kind of written it off and just said, well, I guess you know, I love counseling and therapy. I encourage it for everyone. We, we often pay for it for church members who are walking through difficult things. But for me, maybe it's just something I can't really have. But thankfully, uh, my board really leaned on me and, um, and said, I think this is something you should really invest in. And so uh, I started it weekly therapy counseling at the beginning of 2020, having no idea what was coming. Right. Um, and, and I tell you, it's, it's been one of the, the life-saving things for me over the last year and a half is having this place every week to process through what's going on, um, whether that's past things, you know, childhood things, um, or the present day things that are happening day in and day out of my job and the deep connections between those. And so that's been hugely helpful. Um, the other thing that I resonated with it, what you said was about the, the, the deconstruction and reconstruction journey and, and not just walking through that myself, which I feel like I've, I've been on some level of for the last 12 years probably, um, but now being able to walk our whole church through it together and say, um, how are we building the foundation on the person and work of Christ? How are we examining these different parts of our faith and either choosing to, to set them aside or replace them with something that's more true? Um, and that is that process. Um, I think I've done it in a lot of kind of one-off ways with people as they come for, you know, help or whatever, but getting to do it with our entire church um, in some level has been really life-giving and beautiful. I love that. 
And then the last thing that I resonate with that you talked about was these, these relationships outside of, of church. And, and uh, again, just a shout out to you. You've been a part of that, um, even over these last few months, getting to know you, getting to know some of the other pastors that, that you're connected with, getting to spend some time with you guys uh, last month in, in Raleigh. Um, and it was just, it, it's just really beautiful that those connections are happening. Um, and so I, I want to ask you, uh, as we kind of move forward in the future of pastor in, in the future of kind of the church in America, um, what do you see on the horizon for pastors, for leadership, for the church? You, you, you in your bio had this post-evangelical word, um, that's in there. Is, is that something that you see, uh, us taking steps forward as a church community and as pastoral leaders? Yeah, it's one of them. So like when I'm, and it's the one that I'm most passionate about, which is why I lean into it. When I'm being objectively honest, I think that there's a few, like, I think we're going to see uh, fundamentalism continue to grow. We've seen fundamentalism. One of the problems that's happened in evangelicalism is that fundamentalism has started to take it over. And without like, you, you've had much better guests on to explain these sorts of things than me, but evangelicalism was this big wide tent that over the last decade or so, maybe a little bit longer than that, has been overtaken in some ways by fundamentalism and so has sort of shifted. And I think we'll continue to see that happen. We'll continue to see a growing movement there. I think that we'll continue to see though this growing movement of folks that in some way have been shaped by evangelicalism, but find its current expression lacking for them. And maybe the simplest way of saying it is that the way that we were taught to follow Jesus in those spaces is not the way that we are being encouraged to follow Jesus in those spaces still. And so we don't feel like we fit there anymore. Yeah. And, um, and I'm just finding a growing number of pastors who are growing out of that. And along with them, more and more folks who are looking for a space that are like, I still deeply care about the church and I still deeply care about following Jesus. And I feel like I can't do that in my church anymore. Uh, so I think we'll see the season of churches that are kind of moving in that reality. And then what will happen is that a season will need to come out of that, where there will be people who are not being um, raised in evangelicalism, that are being raised in other sorts of spaces, that that church will have to figure out, like, how do we shift and change and adapt in order to, um, to meet that need. But I think in this current context, that that's the space that I think gives me the most hope, I would say, for the church. Yeah, I totally agree. I think inadvertently, um, you know, planting five and a half years ago, um, I, I think in a lot of ways, we almost started in that space, uh, unknowingly started in that space and have continued to lean into it more and more. And I think the description you gave earlier of a place where we go wide and deep theologically and biblically, deep into the scriptures, really trying to understand what they mean, you know, who wrote them, <clears throat> who they write them to, the context, the culture, um, the, the timeless truths that are in them, going wide and deep with that, all centered around Jesus, but also still holding on to some of the traditions of church that we grew up in, the, the accessibility of being, walk, being able to walk into a place and, um, you know, listening to a, a band and participating in worship and having a message that is easily accessible and, and having really engaging, awesome things for, for kids and families and, and stuff like that. Um, it's like this kind of, you know, because I've, I've felt over the last few years um, questions about, you know, sh should I be in a more like mainline type of a place? 
Um, and I've got great friends in main lines and, and I have zero problem with that. And we actually commissioned um, a, a guy out and his wife who ended up at, at Princeton and now he's a PCUSA pastor and they're incredible and he's doing his thing. Um, but that, that's just never felt like a comfortable space for me, even though I resonate with the deep and wide theology of what's happening there. And so I love this, um, this opportunity, of whatever it ends up being, being called or looking exactly like. I, I love that not only is it happening, but that we've got people like you that are passionate about helping us all connect in it. Hmm. Well, I'm really grateful for folks like you because the, um, it, the, the work of the local church is so hard and significant and that it can be just a theoretical idea and there's got to be boots on the ground that are connecting with folks in the reality of what does it look like to walk through this, to create new kinds of churches for the new kinds of spaces that we're in, to figure out like what does it actually look like to live in the way of Jesus in our time and our place. And like those are not easy questions to have to work out in the reality of people's lives. Like and just so anyways, all that to say, like, I think the work that you're doing is really, really significant and really, really important. I'm so grateful for Restore and for your church. Like, it's just so, so good. Thanks, Mike. We, we are we are grateful for you too. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your time today, man, um, especially for your vulnerability and sharing uh, what life has been like over the last 20 years, what it's like now, the, the highs, the lows. Um, one of our core values here is authenticity, and you just um, embody that so well. And I appreciate you bringing your whole authentic self um, onto this mixtape, man. So um, yeah, as, as we close, I'd love to just ask you to pray for us um, and uh, for all the things we just talked about and and for this this new space um, for the, the, the person and work and love and hope and joy and grace of Jesus to continue to go out in beautiful and new ways um, and that Restore and all the churches that you work with would be a part of that. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It really is a gift and an honor. Um, and yeah, if I could offer as a prayer a blessing that's from uh, this this uh, church called the North Umbria Community. Wow. It's in Ireland. They really grab a hold of the Celtic tradition. And in thinking about going deep and wide, one of the things that's been significant for me over the last many years has been to find places that are uh, engaging in like, what are the prayers that have been written historically? What are the prayers that are being written today that sort of like resonate with, with where I'm at? And this is one that I found a lot of resonance with, and I found a lot of resonance in offering to churches. So if I could offer this to you, I'll restore. Um, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you. May he send you wherever he may go. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Grace and peace to you restore. Amen. Mike, thank you again, brother.